0: on today's story beat
1: i think the most important thing is to be careful who you listen to you have to listen to yourself first my dad always said you had to develop a thick skin but not let it hurt the soft interior because you don't want to become hard and jaded but you have to you have to be able to take rejection you have to be able to take criticism and you don't want it to hurt you you don't want it to destroy you as a person or an artist so you're you have to develop a really strong spirit, I think.
2: Yeah, Sinatra used to say that he was acting all the time he was a kid in front of the big bands and just didn't know it. Because at the end of the day, an actor and a singer, they're both storytellers. Great songs are little little scenes, little stories. This is Story Beat with Steve Cuton, a podcast
1: for the creative mind. StoryBeat explores how masters of creativity develop and produce brilliant works that people everywhere love and admire. So join us as we discover how talented creators find success in the worlds of imagination and entertainment. Here now is your host, Steve Kutin.
0: Thanks for joining us on StoryBeat. We're coming to you from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My guests today, Mary Pat Davis and Richard Osborne, burst onto the cabaret scene with sold-out California engagements at the Gardenia in Hollywood and Sterling's Upstairs at Vitello's in Studio City. Their first show, entitled Let's Fall in Love, featured a potpourri of classic American love songs from the 30s, 40s, and beyond, taking a fun and sentimental look at the many moods of love from first blush to a lifetime love affair. Their second show, Moonlight and Love Songs, took them on a romantic journey through many of the memorable songs from the silver screen, past and present. In addition to numerous appearances at the Gardenia, they've also performed at the 1020 Club and the Vermont in Los Angeles, the Central California Cabaret series with Broadway star Luba Mason, Billy Reeds, Azules, the Annenberg Theater in Palm Springs, and the Laurie Beachman Theater in New York. Mary Pat began performing at the age of six. She's also an actress and dancer with credits in theater, film, TV, concerts, nightclubs, cabarets, radio, and records. Richard, too, is an actor with an extensive background in musicals as well as classical and contemporary theater. Mary Pat and Richard's shows highlight their strong vocals, beautiful harmonies, special arrangements, and an onstage chemistry punctuated by moments of great humor. Their shows run the emotional gamut from lighthearted to poignant. The common thread uniting all of it is a celebration of life, love, and romance. Please be sure to check out their beautiful album, Here's to Love. So for all those reasons and many more, it's a real privilege for me to welcome the exceptionally talented Mary Pat Davis and Richard Osborne to Story Beat today. Mary Pat and Richard, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be with you, Steve.
0: Great to be here. Well, I'm I'm delighted to have you. So let's go back in time a little bit, and I'll ask each of you. Or you've been both of you have been performing for some time now. And I'm wondering how old were you? Well, we know Mary Pat was six, but when did you realize that you had special vocal ability that you could sing? How old were you then? We'll start with Mary Pat.
1: Oh my gosh! You know, I was I was a kid in the neighborhood who would put on the shows and direct the kids, and because my dad was a director as well, and I would. Um, I think, gosh, from the time I can remember, I was singing and dancing. And I think that's all I ever wanted to do.
0: Were you singing when you were six as well?
1: Yeah, I was singing a little bit. Yeah. Things from Finian's Rainbow, my my parents show that, you know, they met in on Broadway. And that was that was always a special show to my family. And and I knew that show. I knew all the songs backwards and forwards. And so, yes, I would sing songs from Finian's Rainbow and I, I sort of got really familiar with all the um, traditional like 40s, 50s songs that my dad loved. and so um, I sort of had really old taste for a kid. I knew all that, <laughs> the old songs. Um, but yeah, probably um, I, I made my first demo as a teenager. It was kind of a pop pop demo. and then um, I, I did a country um, I did a country song that was accompanying a TV pilot I did when I was in my 20s and um, was approached by the uh, songwriters to, to demo um, some of their original tunes and have me sing the songs for them. And then they sent them off to Nashville. And I thought, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Sounds like a great opportunity. And um, that's when I started getting feedback on my voice a lot from a and people in Nashville.
0: So in other words, you, were, you waited until you were, had done that many things before you realized you maybe had something worth doing?
1: I guess I I guess I felt like I had a voice when I was a teenager but I, I never had a huge ego if, if you will so I think I was always thinking you know I have a lot to learn I have you know my mom was a singer and I knew how hard my folks had worked you know all their life so I it was something that I thought you had to earn you know and um felt like I was a student for a long time even though I started teaching dance at 16 I was always teaching and learning and growing and um I think it was, I probably wasn't until I got feedback from A&R people that I had a good voice, that I really, that my confidence developed, I guess. But in
0: other words, you've been a trooper since you were a baby, basically.
1: Yeah. 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 And, yeah.
0: and Richard, when did you first realize you had vocal talent, that it was something that might have been interesting for you to pursue?
2: Well, I'd say it was probably in high school, because uh, when I was, in, uh, I went to Hollywood High Um, so you think it would have more veered into the acting world, um, because of the, uh, the reputation of that, that campus. But actually I, um, I auditioned for the school choir and, and got in as a, as a bass baritone. And, um, uh, it was fairly, it wasn't like a, you know, glee or glee club thing. Right. It was, it was a pretty legit choir. Our, our music director and teacher, Joe uh was, um, had quite an extensive background in uh, classical vocal music as, as well as being a composer himself. So that's when I really, that's when I really started singing and thinking that, you know, this may be something that I could, you know, derive some, some fulfillment and and happiness were
0: people at the time telling you, you had a great voice
2: Um, that I don't recall, but (laughs) I, I do uh, you know, I got as mothers often do my, my mom seemed to think I had, you know, uh, something special vocally. And I got a lot of her, uh, I derived a lot from her love of music. Uh, She was, you know, constantly playing, you know, jazz and show tunes, uh, she played Man of La Mancha like until it wore out basically. <laughs> so um, you know, did I did you know Fanny's
0: Rainbow as well? Uh
2: I did not know that until uh many years later, and we will get to that part of the story, folks. Oh, good, too good, tuned. Good. Um but uh I also uh, uh befriended someone uh I used to spend a lot of time uh at all the, the bookstores. Uh, on Hollywood Boulevard when I was growing up as a kid, and uh, uh, got to know a guy who had an extensive uh, musical theater collection, and he turned me on to a lot of other stuff, and I I soon became very influenced by one of the top, probably the top male star of musicals in the 1940s and 50s, and that was Alfred Drake.
0: Alfred Drake, the great Alfred Drake,
2: the great Alfred Drake, who of course was the star of Oklahoma and. Kiss Me Kate and Kismet, among others, and uh, he became my role model. So it was kind of that, you know, combination of, of musical lead, musical leading man that I, I thought was very attractive and inspiring. And that's kind of the, you know, direction I felt that I, I wanted to go in. So, you know, so he, Mary,
0: Mary Pat, did you have a similar person that influenced you or people that influenced you aside from your parents, which is obvious?
1: Aside from my parents, um, one of my favorite singers ever, who I listened, I had all the records, was Judy Garland. She mm. was my favorite. Yeah,
0: and, I think. Her. And so you you emulated her to some yeah, extent. I
1: did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: Did you try to sing like her too?
1: No, no. I just I think I my musical taste when I was a teenager was like I said earlier, kind of kind of mature and older you know, my, my friends were, you know, what are you singing? <laughs> and I'm singing 40s and 50s songs and, you know, get happy and stuff that Judy Garland sang and loved that stuff. And so my musical taste was totally sort of shaped by Judy Garland and I just loved the warmth and the warmth and richness in her voice.
0: Mm-hmm. So did you have formal training? Did you go to school for your voice?
1: Not, um, well, I was a music major at Cal Lutheran University, and um, I did study with private teachers, um, mm-hmm. associate, and um, you know teachers like that. But I didn't graduate um, from a music school, no. But I I started performing professionally when I was about eighteen, so well maybe sixteen actually. So so, so yeah, at that
0: I, point, you probably felt like if somebody's paying you money, you don't need to go <laughs> to school for it.
1: Well, I always was taking classes. I always was te- you know privately you know taking taking lessons do do you still um not anymore no (laughs) sometimes
0: i bump into people that have been in the business for 30 40 years and they're still taking lessons because that's just their thing they just like to take lessons um yeah i don't
1: think it's a bad i don't think it's a bad idea i have you know many friends who coach with people um you know professional singers who coach with other professional singers who teach when they're getting ready for shows especially And uh, yeah, I think that's
0: a great idea. And and, and same question for you, Richard. Did you formally train somewhere with your voice? I
2: I really don't have much extensive formal training as either a singer or actor, although over the years, you know, starting with uh, the musical theater workshop at L.A. City College, as well as um, studying with uh, Karen Morrow, who uh, you may be familiar with. Sure. Uh, She had her... um, basically musical theater, uh, singing, technique, interpretation. She was really helpful with that. And then I've, occasionally I've taken, you know, I would say kind of brush up, vocal classes with you know so so both of you what what i think
0: what i think you're saying which is i think interesting for the listeners to understand is both of you were basically trained by doing it not by going to formal classes or going and getting a degree in it or something like that though you had little bits and pieces of training along the way but nothing in a formal setting where you went to school you know five days a week or whatever it would be um and i think it's important to understand which is something i think not everybody gets today, is you don't need an education, a formal education in order to be in the arts. I think it's helpful sometimes, but I, it's not the least bit necessary. Um, so I'm wondering when you two met, how did you meet?
1: Well, um, let's see. Let me first tell you that um, my, my parents, um, Marilyn and Charlie Davis, they met in New York. Uh, my dad was playing the leprechaun in Phineas Rainbow. Okay. He had been brought over from Ireland at 19 years of age.
0: He, um, he is an actual Irish. Name. He, is.
1: he is. And I've just been informed that I'm an Irish citizen because I'm his daughter, which I just found out hmm. which is really cool. Um, but yes, he came, he came over at 19, um, joined the company. He replaced um, David Wayne as the leprechaun. Right. And, um, then my mother was playing across the street in Irving Berlin's Miss Liberty, which was, she was cast actually by Irving Berlin. She was a, she had a, a singing speaking part. Um, it was one of her first shows, and she was also very young. And they met each other when the cast of Phineas Rainbow was uh, starting a national touring company and they were holding auditions for who wanted to go on the you know on the road. And my dad decided he would leave Broadway and go on the road. He'd done it for like a year or so on Broadway, and my mother auditioned then and she got chosen, and they met in the national touring company of Phineas uh-huh. Rainbow and came out to California and never went back, actually never went back to New York, um, except for vacations, but they started a life here in California. My dad, um, started a theater called the Hollywood Repertory Theater and, um, they did tons of musicals and my dad, um, became a director as well. And, and they had the longest running musical in Hollywood history at the time of Finney's Rainbow. It ran for like 11 months or something. And, um, In fact, um, Richard Burton did a did a walk on guest. guest guest appearance for my dad in that show. Um, (laughs) Very, very funny. But uh, my dad and mom, you know, were always in theater and musicals. And so many, many years later and they're still in the business. um, I'm a little girl and I my first musical was Finian's Rainbow. Oh, wow. My father was directing um, directing it many years ago in Summerstock. And I, of course, knew all the lyrics. So I was in the chorus as a child. And then fast forward again and my dad is now able to play Finian because he's older. And so sure. he's playing the leprechaun, he's directing a new production of Finian's rainbow. He's playing Finian as well. And he asked me if I would play Sharon, which was the part my mom played. And I was like, you know, over the moon. And so that's where Richard comes into play. We were in rehearsals with a cast and another uh, actor playing Woody when he had a an emergency in his family. And Woody is the character that plays opposite Sharon. And he he had to leave the show. And with two weeks to go before opening night, uh, Richard was contacted by our producer and brought in to fill that spot. And we literally met on stage. I walked into rehearsal that night and he was on stage reading lines. And I got into the tree, which Sharon comes down from the tree and meets him on stage. That's how we actually met on stage. Wow. <laughs>
0: wow so it it, it, it was it was faded
1: (laughs) it was it was wonderful we had a a really fun time and really great chemistry and uh yeah
0: did you you immediately recognize that you had a shared vocal quality that would work uh, well together or was that something you figured out later
1: i think we figured out figured it out during the show wouldn't you say richard we everybody was talking about our chemistry and we kind of had a really neat um energy on stage and a, and a playful banter that we brought to the parts a little bit of humor that maybe w- wouldn't always be there with some of the scenes and we sort of always brought sort of a playfulness and a humor to it um you know in the appropriate scenes and we just had a lot of fun and um and then after we closed we ran for a couple months um we broke all records we had standing room only and and we they extended as long as they could and then when it finally closed um richard approached me A week later and said what do you think about doing a cabaret act and just having fun with some new music and
0: so so when what year was this how long have you been uh, doing Uh, this together
1: this is about 10 years ago
0: about 10 years ago so (laughs) it's so it's been a a development of the act itself and what you're going to do in it so I'll ask Richard then uh, you know one of the interesting things about talking to people that work together like you do is that there has to be, and you obviously found this when you met at Finney's Rainbow. There has to be some kind of chemistry to make it work, and it's always a mystery, I think, as to how that chemistry comes about. Did do you did you sense that chemistry, Richard, right away?
2: Well, in the words of Sky Masterson, "Ah, chemistry." <laughs> yeah, I did. I, it was obvious. I felt it when we were on stage, and even in in you know rehearsals. Although I was studying like mad uh because i cramming. had two, two weeks to do this yeah cramming to put it mildly but
0: uh sometimes that's the best way to have it happen when you've got no choice but to your back's against the wall and you got to figure it out now yeah
2: well you know uh in the history of theater there uh, has been such thing as summer stock and uh repertory sure. theater especially in england and uh sometimes you're doing you know maybe half a dozen shows uh one after the Absolutely. other with very Absolutely. little Absolutely. rehearsal time so uh uh but this was you know um uh, it, it, it's not like i was doing hamlet but it was a it was it, it was a rush and it's a big fortunate fortunately it's... we were in good hands because and it's... one of the reasons i wanted to do it was because the producer who i'd worked with before at this theater had uh said oh you know it's being directed by the guy who played the leprechaun originally on broadway and i went uh uh-huh. <laughs> and uh so you know it, it meant a lot that uh, we were in charlie's good hands and so um you know i i could just concentrate on getting the part under my belt and and uh after that we were you know off to the races so uh But again, in answer to your question, yeah. Did did you
0: sing together in the show? Oh, yeah. You did sing together in the show. So you that I imagine immediately had some impact on, hey, we have we sound good together.
2: Yeah, they sing Old Devil Moon together. That's their duet. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of our our theme song. Well, at least it's uh, something of a, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a piece of music that means a, a lot to us. Uh, with it not only being one of the big hits of the show, but we've used it, uh, we've performed it live in our cabaret shows. How important it- when
0: you're singing it live is it that it has that emotional resonance for you? How much does that impact the delivery of the performance?
1: For me, it's everything. Everything. Yeah, for me, it's everything.
0: You, you have to have something to attach emotionally to, yes?
1: Yeah, for me, yes, I would say absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so yep. the, so the, the chemistry that you immediately saw because and I'll get off the chemistry thing in a moment, but I but I really think it's important for the listeners to understand that the uh, that this chemistry that you didn't go out and manufacture it, it's just there, right? Yeah yeah, it was mm-hmm. And it was it, it
2: always is It's not anything you can manufacture. You
0: can't manufacture it. but my question is can you develop it? Can it be made better? Can you deepen it? Um, through any particular specific effort or does it just nature takes its course when it comes to that connection between two performers? Richard, I'm wondering about what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, I'd go with the latter. It definitely, it's nature taking its course. It's not anything I ever thought I wanted to mess with once we'd established it.
0: Mary Pat, same
2: thought?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if you happen to be paired with someone Um, like the gentleman I was paired with before Richard was, you know, before he left. um, uh, I don't think we would have had the same chemistry, but I think we would have done okay. And I think, you know, it's kind of an acting question too, because you, you want to kind of lose yourself in that part. And I think if you kind of surrender to the part or the, the actor, you know, singing a song, telling a story, you can, you, you know, if you're, if you allow yourself to surrender to the part, you can kind of get into that a little bit. It might not be as easy and as natural, or as powerful as the, you know, chemistry that's just there. But I think you can kind of develop it a little bit, you know. Well, you...
0: I think that the great singers are great actors. Don't yeah, not you agree?
1: God, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and when, um, and that's why so many singers, famous singers over time have wound up acting in movies and on stage, because mm-hmm. they're already having to find something within themselves to communicate through the lyrics and the, the song, so they're not just singing beats and and notes. There's a there's some kind of power behind it that's emotional, and so when I listen to the two of you sing, because I've listened to a bunch of your stuff at this point, um, I can tell that you're passionate about what you're doing. That the that there's something behind what you're singing. You're not just singing. And do you have to work at that at all, or is it just there?
1: For me, it's there. I, I just yeah, I I it's love just it. there. I love yeah it's I love what I do it's just there yeah You
0: don't you don't need to rehearse for it in other words
1: No just rehearse the technical stuff and then let it go and you know, it's like as a dancer, you that's what you do, too. I think the, the best dancers as well as the best singers, you you practice, you know, the hard stuff and you you learn your harmony, you learn your words, you, you learn your phrasing, whatever you you need to learn um, technically. But then then you got to throw it out the window and and go with your heart a little bit.
0: Well, at some point you have to just you have to stop thinking about it entirely and just do yeah. it right.
1: Just do it. Yeah. Just
0: like an athlete. Love- it's the same, same thing. Yeah. S- same for you, Richard.
2: Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, you know, when. Sinatra used to say that he was acting all the time. He was a kid in front of the big bands and just didn't know it because at the end of the day, an actor and a singer, they're both storytellers. Great songs are little, little, little scenes, little stories. Uh, If they're constructed, interestingly, I I think that's true. And uh, as you said, you know, so many people who uh, started out as, as uh, singers, singers, you know, in, in recording studios or, or wherever, if they wind, had up, a little, wind up acting, right? Yeah, sure. If they had had a little luck and some good looks, and at all, uh, you know, they could bring that to the to the, 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 uh, the movies, to the stage, whatever.
0: Is is there anything that you need today to inspire you to sing what you sing? Do you need some kind of inspiration beyond the song?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: You find it within the song itself
1: yeah we're we're really um, we search really really hard for the songs we we sing. We choose them really carefully. What, and...
0: what what makes a good song good? what What do you look for when you're trying to find a song? What do you what do you want?
1: Well, I've always liked as a performer, I like to reach out and touch people in some way, either you know, touch them, make them feel something you know romantic or emotional or sentimental. Or um, or happy, make them you know something that up, that lifts you up. So I think I gravitate to those kinds of songs. Um, sentimental. Well, from our album, you can tell we we have a lot of you know happy songs and and fun songs and sassy songs, and and then there's a few tearjerkers in there like "Where Have You Been" and stuff. They're
0: um, they're all they all come from the heart somehow.
1: They do. They do. Yeah.
0: So they're not they're not mechanical in any way. They're not. You know, they're they're good old fashioned um from the heart songs. That's, yeah, that's that's what I was listening to anyway. Um, uh, Richard, same for you.
2: Well, I think we always look at a, you know, individual tune and see how it strikes us emotionally. Mm-hmm. I think our job after that is to convey that emotion to an audience member. You know, we're open to the whole gamut of of uh, emotions. She just the sassy tunes, by the way, I have nothing to do with those. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> in, anything that, that, you know. You're not
0: of, sassy. Is that what you're saying? You're anti I'm unsassy. Yeah. I'm I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the sassy-less, uh, overly serious actor. Um, and
1: he does voices. He does really funny voices, Steve. <laughs> is that
2: right? Yeah. He
1: does. Yeah. You should do a couple voices for him.
2: <sighs> well, well, I may be inspired toward the end of this interview. <laughs> um, anyway, so that that's. You know that that's how we go about it, and uh, uh you know I think she said it uh just right. You know it, we have to have some kind of reaction to it, and and find some some emotional through line and meaning that we can uh you know convey to a to an audience. Has Has vibe. anyone
0: ever suggested that the two of you sing something, and both of you went, "No, that's not for us." Hmm.
1: I
2: don't think I can't think of anything.
1: Shelly Markham always suggested some, you know, really cool songs that we did. And I'm trying to think, so Amanda...
0: people know what you're what you're all about, so they're going to suggest to you things that they think are in your pocket.
1: Yeah, I think Shelly tuned into us. Uh, Shelly arranged all the, the tunes on the. Um,
0: yeah, tell, that... tell the listeners who Shelly Markham is.
1: Oh, Richard, you tell everybody who Shelly Markham is. He's fabulous.
2: Well, um Shelly, who's still going strong. Uh, he's relocated back east to uh north carolina right i always get north and south mixed up but anyway they're um, right next to each other that's (laughs) yes that's it Uh, wherever durham is that's uh north carolina north carolina thank you um shelley's uh, a remarkable uh musician pianist arranger composer He has, he, he sings, he's done his own CD. He has composed entire musicals.
1: And he was Andrea Marcovici's musical director for, I don't know, 25, 30 years.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of uh, one of his extraordinary accomplishments. Um, Andrea Marcovici
0: also from the cabaret world.
2: Yes, definitely. Well, she was the, uh, until she just retired recently. In fact, we saw her final show in new york uh she was basically the the queen of cabaret
1: she started midnight at um midnight at the gardenia she did midnight shows 12 midnight shows
2: really. yeah yeah and she's a friend too at least we're yeah she's lucky been on- to call her a friend and and uh she said some some very nice things about our uh cd as well he, he's shelly's had a, a long uh wonderful relationship incredible career and uh, we were very lucky to to get him, you know, uh, because he's, he's in demand for what he does. But uh, he just took a shine to us, I'd say, right?
1: Yeah. And he just came up some with some wonderful ideas and, and then arrangements on songs we wanted to do. Like an example would be Old Devil Moon. Um, my mom had had an arrangement of Old Devil Moon that she had done for her back in New York, you know, back in like the 50s or so. And I think it was by the man who did the music for Some Like It Hot. And he was just really like the top guy. And it, it was this really cool counterpoint kind of feel, jazz kind of counterpoint feel. And we, we showed it to Shelley, And we said, we kind of want to start with this, but then we want to do something else. And we kind of told him what we had in mind. And he just came up with this whole arrangement, new arrangement for Old Devil Moon that we love. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, that, that's become your standard then, yes?
1: Yeah, that's probably our our favorite.
0: All right, so let's talk about how you get into... Of the performance itself you have to make a decision at some point we're going to sing x number of songs and it's going to be these songs typically about how many songs are in your show
1: um usually about 14 ish give yeah. or take a couple 14 Essential,
0: essentially an album's worth
1: yeah and you know a, yeah usually and then there's like a, an encore and stuff so we, we just have a couple extras there but yeah
2: and me okay. talking, of course.
1: Well, yeah, we, yeah. we have to. Okay.
0: You got to have the banter, <laughs> right? And, and yep. do you write your own material on the banter, or do you just let it fly?
1: We kind of let it fly.
2: <laughs> I make it up, baby. <laughs> I go along um, with with mixed results, actually. But,
1: uh, well, I usually have to, tell to, you know, tell them, "Hey, we got to get we got to got to get on with the song now. Stop talking."
0: <laughs> you 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 have to. Uh, you're gonna have some failure if you're gonna just wing it, you know. <laughs> you've got no testing on it. Um, so do you yeah. when when once you've got the songs in hand, okay, we're gonna do these 12, 14 songs, whatever it is. What's the first step that you do? Do you start to rehearse together? Do you start to arrange together? Do you decide what order they're going in? Where's your what's your first step?
1: We usually start rehearsing with the pianist that's gonna play for us and start and before we set the order, we usually just pick the songs and work with them first before mm-hmm. we decide, you know, what's the we kinda sometimes have an idea that this is gonna be, you know, in the first couple numbers or this would be a good closer, but we don't make final decisions until we've rehearsed a bit with the pianist and, you know, made little tweaks and yeah.
2: She entirely makes up the odor. I have nothing to do with that. So I <laughs> I uh seriously, I totally trust her. Uh you know, I
0: Well that that makes your job even easier, Richard. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'll just make up my part and uh mary let her do the hard work, the load but, yeah.
1: uh... oh my gosh do, do you
0: do you ever rehearse a song and say nope not going to be in the show
1: yeah i think we've we've thrown songs out before so you know not not this show let's let's think about that or that's you know we need to play with that a little more i don't like you know this is not special enough we don't have we haven't got a handle on on it, you know. And,
0: like, and mm-hmm. what then becomes your criterion for deciding how to program the show? In other words, you, you're going to do the songs. I'm going to guess. You correct me if I'm wrong. The songs have an emotional order, and that you start at one place and you want to take it to another place. And how do you make that decision? I'm going to guess Mary Pat does all the decision making <laughs> here too.
2: You bet. <laughs>
1: well, how, do you know, you, how how do you decide what how do you put it together you know each show has been a little different we're, we we usually have kind of a theme but it's not scripted by any means but we we're not completely flying blind we have an idea what what we want sure, to say sure, of course you do you know he'll say you know like i'd like <laughs> to introduce this one because i want to talk about whatever um or we'll say we're both going to talk before this one and um sometimes we Look, we've done shows, you know, Here's to Love, um, what was I think our first show, and it was all love songs, but we kind of tried to cover the arc of love, like first love and then, you know, in the middle, and maybe there's conflicts and then songs that are more sad toward the end. And, you know, we sort of kind of, you know, had a wide variety of love songs on that theme. And we did kind of put it through an arc, you know? Um, and there's always humor. We always have humor in there. I, li- I like to think our shows are kind of packed with, you know, actually a really pretty, pretty healthy dose of both humor and sentimentality.
0: Humor in the songs or humor in between? Oh, humor
1: just in the show. Um, Yeah, in the shows, you know. So you're not it, doing it,
0: comedy songs.
1: No, no.
0: That's, that's really. what I was wondering.
1: I mean, not really. Once in a while there'll be something in there. But no, I mean, kind of the, the, our talking and.
0: You, do you think of the songs as trying to reach an emotional peak, some kind of a climax within the whole of the event?
1: Yeah, it depends on the the song and depends on the show, you know. We did a movie, um, a movie's, uh, what do we call it, Richard? Uh, Moonlight and Love Songs. Right. Um, and it was all sh- songs from movies. So that was kind of a potpourri in a way. That that didn't have a particular order. That was just some of our favorite songs put into amazing arrangements. From all these different wonderful movies, and
2: right, um, we might have grouped by composer, like we would do all Henry Henry Mancini's tunes in one piece, or yeah, you know Elmer Bernstein's love theme from The Magnificent Seven. I remember that especially. How do you so, sing that? It's actually a joke, Steve. Oh. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could also do the theme from Psycho, but that would be that's true,
2: yeah. Yeah, the, st- the string portion's a bit tough to get through, but...
0: That Bernard Herrmann, um, great song. I know,
2: a- absolutely. Uh, hey, he wrote a whole opera for Orson Welles, so, you know, all right. Can so, you go wrong? So
0: now you've got your songs, you know what you're going to sing, you've already tested them a little bit by playing with the piano player. Now what do you do? Do you start to rehearse them in, in earnest, or do you let things happen more organically in the performance? How, in other words, I guess the question for me is, how tight are you in... In going into the show, or are you somewhat loose about how you approach?
1: We've done it a couple of different ways. We were working with someone a few years back where it was a little tighter. He, he was a little more rigid and scripted, and so we we did a couple of shows like that. Um, but I think our basic style is, you know, to 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 map things out with the, with the pianist that we work with, and then to to tape the songs. We we get everything on tape, and we rehearse vocally to To you know, figure out what harmonies we want to do, and just to get everything feeling really good. Um, but we don't like to over rehearse. On the other hand, um, sometimes we stage things a little bit. But I, you know, we don't over. I I don't like things that are overly studied and does, overly. Does it
0: does it become stiff for you? Does it?
1: It just feels a little fake. And it I, feels I... fake. Mm -hmm. i like it to be real you you
0: want it you want it to feel organic Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think those are always better shows when it feels like you're you're just doing it rather than although although there's a flip argument there isn't there you talk about someone who talk about Finian's rainbow here's uh you you go back and uh you look at uh, fred astaire and -hmm. fred astaire who did the movie version of Finian's rainbow but but he used to practice or rehearse so much that he made it look effortless Like he was just winging it, but that came through enormous amounts of of effort. And so then you get the opposite of that, which is Dean Martin, who would just show up on set and do it and hardly rehearse at all. And obviously you're somewhere in between. You like to rehearse enough, but not over-rehearse it.
1: Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm.
0: And do you find that that causes you ever to make mistakes in performance? Are you pretty good at not?
1: Um, it's funny when you're working with another person because I've done you know solo shows myself and then I, I had an act with my mom for years. Um and then and then Richard. Richard is a little more um he'll just start saying things. <laughs> what are you doing? He'll go off. And I don't mean so much in the songs, but in the talking. And sometimes that'll that'll be kind of throw me off. But I, I think it's kind of funny. I really do. <laughs> I, I mean most you know, you're gonna have little little hiccups once in a while but I think it's worth it you know for the for the spontaneity and the fun
2: of course she's a dancer so she wants to choreograph every number (laughs) no and then I roll my eyes and sweat and you know but
1: are you
0: are you not a good dancer Richard I I am not uh I used to
2: call myself euphemistically I'm a leading man who moves well but even that was stretching it so no
1: you're good you're not bad at all I've worked with way more difficult actors and singers I know I taught dance I've, yes.
0: I've worked with a few actors that were excellent singers, but couldn't move at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I understand the problem, if in fact that's your problem, but it sounds like it's not really your problem. Sorry, what is then, as you go into your performances, which you are both rehearsed and loose at the same time, which is what it sounds like, um, what would you say are the biggest challenges in live performance for you? What do you both find are the things that you have to then consider the most. In other words, what what challenges are you faced with regularly, if any?
1: Hmm. I would say for me, anyway, um, when you do one night shows, you know, you're kind of dealing with a new venue, new setup just for that one night. And that's kind of hard. It's nice to have a run. It's nice to have a run like you do when you're in mm-hmm. a vehicle. Um, so, I mean, that makes obviously, you know, that's not what cabaret is, but it, it's nice um, when you can do a show a few times so we've we've had that that opportunity thank goodness a lot but sometimes we've done just one show one time and that's kind of not as fulfilling if you will because you feel like you you're just getting into it and you could you know relax and do it so much more you know I don't know more freely you could
0: you're, you're have- I think you're saying that it's about comfort level of the venue itself
1: yeah I guess so yeah I guess so mm-hmm.
2: uh, um same for you Richard I'm not sure I worry so much about you know coming to a new place or, or or the i'm usually fairly comfortable in any venue i happen to be at i'm just kind of focused more on the mechanics of things that's screwing up on my lyrics and uh, just remembering that there's a you know particular funny little change of key at this part in the song and and uh you know things like that so it's it's just pretty much you know mechanical
0: What would you say that you, Richard, have learned in live performance over the years that you now didn't know in the beginning, but you repeat? Is there anything that you now say, oh, I I do this regularly. You know, I wish I knew this when I was 18.
2: Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. From a theater point of view, I would say it's just, this is very Stanislavski system-esque, and I'm mentioning this because I actually rejoined a theater company I was with 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm in a Stanislavski workshop right now it, It's just being in the moment and, and being present and and let things happen organically. Uh, hopefully it's supported by a much better technique than I had when I was 18, but also listening that's one of the biggest things you can do all you've got the time. to listen
0: to each other I assume
2: right whether it's in a you know a, a, just a straight acting scene or or singing with a, a you know a partner or somebody that you're doing a duet with in a in a show uh, it's just it's it's just very important it's just being being available as an artist and a lot of that uh, a lot of that has to do with with listening
0: mm-hmm Um. Mary Pat, I'm wondering, you know, what have you learned over the years that you now wish you knew back then, but you now repeat?
1: Um, I think I've really learned how to pace myself. I used to just go full throttle from the very beginning, you know, and uh, my mom would be saying to me, why are you running around doing this? And you got a show tonight. You know, you just, you know, you need to you need to rest and you need to, you know, I just always was kind of going 100 miles an hour because I've got a lot of energy. And so I think, I mean, that's just a very personal thing, but I've just learned how to pace myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like it makes me a better performer because I have more to give and I'm more, you know, more there and more present in the moment.
0: Well, that's a, yeah, I would imagine it is because if you're uh, tired or not there at the moment, your mind has wandered, you're not going to be giving as right, good right, right. of a show. Yeah. <laughs> It's the same with any performance, I would think, which is a little different than just working at a job, where you can slack off a little bit in certain jobs. You can not pay attention for a little while. You have to be on all the time when you're on stage.
1: Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think it was, I think it was I think it was Richard Burton who once said that you know he would be thinking he'd done shows so many times or Camelot, whatever it was. That he was actually thinking about, oh, I've got to pick up that that laundry today and I've got to get certain groceries. And he wasn't even paying any attention to what he was doing. He was just on automatic. Yeah. Have Have you ever experienced that? Either one of you where you were on autopilot?
1: I haven't actually. But in rehearsal, probably in a, in a play or something, rehearsal, but never on a show. I'm really into my shows, <laughs> um, but I certainly understand that. And I and I, I teach. So I, I have acting and, down, and acting and singing students and i see them sometimes zone out
2: mm-hmm. you know when they're
1: vocalises or something and i'll say wait a minute where are you and oh yeah i was thinking about you know that i have to go here afterwards and you know you can't do that you have to be right there in the moment to get the most out of everything
0: well you know? that that notion of the stanislavsky being in the moment and present as richard was alluding to that is everything to performance
1: it really is yeah
0: i i think it is if you're if you're not present and they right now um it shows it becomes mechanical or it becomes uninteresting or whatever that might be I want to talk for a moment about recording you've done a little bit of recording Mm -hmm. over time and how do you approach recording which is a different process than live performance where you're now having to try to do something to give the sense of a live performance but you're in a studio and there's no audience do you have a, a way that you are like that you can psych yourself into it, where you can think your way through it differently than than when you're actually in front of a crowd?
1: I had done recording um, in Nashville and LA, um, solo recording mm-hmm. in a variety of settings, a variety of studios. Um, so I think I was well-prepared for our CD, um, which was great. We had a great setup at the studio where we worked. Um, um, Paul Taverner, big studio, big city studios. Um, really wonderful um he's a wonderful engineer and it was just a, so comfortable and the musicians were so amazing um it was you know one of the best recording experiences i had had so i felt really relaxed um and again um i think just anybody recording that's that's sort of the trick is to just relax and not feel like you're recording because you want it to be real and spontaneous and and yet you do have some technical things you have to think about and you know, you have to be, you know, thinking of the mic, but not fixated on the mic. You have to kind of get where you're supposed to be and then close your eyes and relax and, and you know, get into the song. Um, I found that pretty easy for for me with, with our CD, because I just loved the songs and I loved the arrangements and um, felt really comfortable. Um, Richard, I know, um, I think that was, was that your first recording, Richard, with our CD, in terms of recording?
2: yeah it was it was the first time i'd been in uh a, a, a studio to actually perform with a, you know with a band and with with you know our own arrangements um and how
0: was that for you how how did you experience that when you suddenly were doing it you were on stage without an audience <laughs>
2: yeah uh it, it, i found it to be a very different process and a little a little intimidating i i almost like to do another CD <laughs> uh you know uh because I th- I think I know how to go about it a little a little more sanely um maybe, maybe. huh
1: maybe you'd feel it was easier the next time
2: oh definitely I think well, you yeah. did you it? that's yeah.
0: that's what experience does for everything huh
2: yeah uh it, it it does and you know I was I was watching I was actually watching Mary Pat's process which um uh, she seemed just right at home in, in in the studio um and then we were when we were listening to playbacks you know she she takes herself to a very zen kind of spot uh and i'm i'm listening to these things i'm going well oh that's not too bad oh i like how i did that take and oh, that phrasing was kind of sloppy and ooh, i'm a little um pitchy in that that phrase and things like that but i think she was she was kind of taking the whole experience and the whole song from beginning to end you know and uh, i think that's probably just aesthetically the better approach um in in the studio um
0: and it's something which, that you really can't do in live performance right in front of a crowd you you can't really stop and analyze what you're doing and break it down line by line
2: no, you can't. And uh, I think, you, you know, you were talking about kind of uh, putting yourself on uh, on autopilot. Uh, I think that's mostly true. I suspect it's mostly true if you're in a very, very long run, uh, like I'm sure Burton was with, with Camelot, and mm-hmm. uh, even his you know, even as Hamlet, I think broke box office records. Uh, at the time, and I think ran longer than Barrymore's, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he, you know, he used to say that he always was trying to find in his performance what he called stillness. In other words, getting the greatest possible effect with the least visible effort. <laughs> and I've always found that something to uh, an interesting thing to try to to try to approach in both acting. Especially straight acting and and Shakespeare, even as well as uh, as well as singing.
0: Be, being still, do you uh, have the same take on that, Mary Pat? That that calmness is key.
1: Yeah, I I think I, I think what Richard, if I'm understanding what he means, I think he's saying you're not working so hard. You're you're quote relaxed enough and and just um, at peace enough with the peace and what you're doing that you're you're really in the moment and you're just I mean, it sounds so cliche, but you're just flowing with what you're doing. You're not overthinking it. You're not stressing. You're not thinking ahead. You're just right there trying to um, be a vessel for those words, for that song, you know, and it, it it's understated in a way because it, it flows more naturally is what I think.
0: Am I correct to assume that you're just saying be in the moment in a different way?
1: In a quiet way, yeah.
0: In, in a quiet way,
1: yeah.
0: That you're allowing it all in rather yeah. than forcing it in some way,
1: right.
0: yeah. yeah. I I think that that's that's the hallmark of great performances. Is mm-hmm. it feels like it's just flowing, like there's mm-hmm. like it's flowing through the performer rather than the former the performer is generating it. Yeah. I mean, look,
2: there there are some you know legendary performers and stars who. I mean, man, they come on and and they're going to sell this tune if it's the last thing they do, you mm-hmm. know, if it kills them. And uh, that's a perfectly, depending upon their personality, it sometimes may be a perfectly legitimate way to, to you know, try to perform a piece. But I've, I've always been kind of, I'm kind of of the Dean Martin school. You know, I just kind of come on and just, you know, uh, don't take it terrifically seriously and just, just, you know, be relaxed and, you know, don't, don't let them see a sweat. So,
1: you know, I think we're very different that way though, Steve, um, Richard is, um, much more laid back, if you will. And, um, and I do, I'm, I'm a bit hyper. So, you know, (laughs) you can kind of tell,
0: is that a good yin yang?
1: I think it is good. I think it is a good combination. It's actually very similar to the dynamic I had with my mom when she and I would perform. My mom was very elegant and um I mean, she had a great sense of humor and everything. Richard knew my mom. she was um, you know, just very elegant and 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 I was I had a different energy. You know, our reviews of our shows when we would perform together would would mention that. and and it was always in a positive way. and i I feel like Richard and I have that same um, counterbalance, which is, yeah, I think it's I think it's good
0: he's he's the laid back he's the straight man to your uh, your ha- more active performer probably yeah i think so when i've seen the videos of you that's what it seems like you're doing you're 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 actually got the higher energy than richard but he's not it's not like he has no energy it's that he's more laid back than you that's all
1: yeah it's just style i think you know it, it, definitely people have different style and uh and everybody has to find their style and tune into their you know their own style.
0: Well, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you have this, uh, I guess it would be a a, a difference for, for many single solo performers. You actually have to mesh in some way. You have to become a unit, not two individuals that were only hearing the two individuals. You have to become one at some point.
1: Yeah, the duets are trickier for sure. They are. I, I like them a lot. But it is, it is more, um, you have to really be on the ball. You have to be in the moment because otherwise you're going to do things your own way and you won't be together. You know, you, you, you have to be, you're part of a team and you have to be tuned into one another. And that's, it's cool. It's very cool, but it does require a little different, like different focus, different concentration. Is there,
0: is there a trick to it?
1: Um, I think
2: think we've been lucky. You know, a, a lot of it has to do with that. It just, it just worked out the way it did. And like we were, you know, talking about chemistry earlier, it, it just kind of happens. And it just happened in our case that whatever, you know, qualities and strengths we each brought individually just just meshed really well on stage.
0: Well, in 10 years of doing it helps.
2: I don't know about that, but <laughs> we we can bicker like an old married couple if, if you want to hear it. <laughs> we, we, we actually right
1: away from the start we did that yeah i <laughs> know but,
2: but,
0: but you know what that's that's to me that's an indication that you care if you if you never bickered yeah. or at least never disagreed about anything i'm not sure that you care so it, i think this that's is great true. you know so i have yeah. been speaking to uh mary pat davis and richard osborne for almost an hour now and we're gonna take this thing uh toward the uh the tail end of the show and i'm just wondering ellie ask each of you um in all of your experiences and you've been doing this for a number of years and can you relate or share with us a story in which um something weird strange quirky offbeat or maybe just plain funny has happened to you
2: it had to do with a kind of a weird play I was doing I was playing Banquo in Shakespeare's Macbeth in West Hollywood and um you know Orson Welles used to say that you should have
0: said the Scottish play by the way
2: Oh, no, that only works, That's only happens in the theater. Uh, All right.
0: This is, my, this have, is my theater. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. Well, I can always uh, go out the door, spit, and turn around three times and come back in. Um, or I think the Brits do something different. In any case, um, Orson Welles used to say that it, it, it had a kind of funny, hard luck reputation as a play. A lot of it probably had to do with the fact that it's it's kind of dark and oppressive and has... You know, it's violent and bloody, and has occult elements in it with witches and all that. And uh, I actually ended up getting probably the best reviews I've ever gotten in in the Los Angeles Times, no less. Uh, and it all ended up um, uh, gone with the wind because it was the only play that I actually got sacked from. Uh, <laughs> I got into some—I don't even remember what it was about, to be honest. It was some stupid argument with the director and uh uh he just said uh okay well you know i I don't think we need you to show up again (laughs) in the uh for the next performance so so that was that um which was just kind of a weird experience uh one of the funniest ones happened when i was playing um James Naughton's old part in uh, the musical City of Angels it was sure. the, the the private eye who's kind of inspired by uh Philip Marlowe and uh I don't know if you know the show Steve I, but there's I do there's uh the the the, the private eye is actually part a, of a um uh, kind of film noir movie within the musical it's kind of hard to describe um uh, but um he's kind of in the imagination of this young screenwriter uh, this young novelist excuse me who's called to Hollywood to write the screenplay for the movie adaptation of his book that's the setup um anyway uh when I was doing it at the actually it was at the same theater that we did Finian's Rainbow but several years um prior to that um we were doing a performance of of the show and uh, the theater got hit by a really nasty aftershock to the Northridge earthquake. Okay. And I mean, the, 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 you know, the the lights on the battens overhead were swinging kind of dangerously. So uh, that happened. Um, Hmm. And uh, the character, Stone, the detective, uh has a scene where he walks into his uh apartment and the place has been basically turned upside down by i forgot who it was the 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 crooks or the cops or whoever it was and he has a line it looks like this place was turned upside down by an earthquake or <laughs> hit by an earthquake or something like that <laughs> and the audience just roared uh and i got i got rattled and i skipped like a half page of dialogue <laughs> it was the weirdest experience so mm. um <laughs> and it actually happened on the night that we were taping the show. So I actually have proof of that somewhere <laughs> in in a closet.
1: Mary Pat. Um, let's see. I was doing Gypsy. Um, and I had a little Chinese pug dog who was part of the cast. He got to be in one scene. And so he was kept backstage, you know, in, in a dressing room with stage hands and stuff until his scene. And I was on stage with Rose and Herbie. I was playing gypsy we were singing together wherever we go and this was an outdoor uh, equity um production with huge audience out in front of us and and steps um that come up to the to the stage and suddenly we're in the middle of the number and we hear the audience laughing i mean we have no idea why they're laughing because we're in the middle of singing and we were kind of looking at each other wondering why are they laughing and suddenly i see that out of the corner of my eye this little ball of fur coming toward me and i looked and it's my pug snooper and he's gotten onto the stage he's gotten loose and he's gotten onto the stage and he's running toward me and of course i picked him up finished the number and we got you know huge response at the end of the number but it, it was so unexpected i've never had a, a dog do that before so that was that was pretty funny it
0: would have been it would have only been better if you were doing annie
1: Yes, that would have been more appropriate. (laughs) And then another thing that wasn't really funny, but it was kind of one of the most touching, um, interesting experiences I've ever had. I was playing a fair, I think it was a California Mid-State Fair, um, and it was booked just a solo artist with a band, and it was just me and the band, and uh, came to the end of the show and I was doing a a gospel medley, and it was kind of a rousing thing. And I said, I noticed these kids dancing in front of the stage And I said, if anybody wants to come up and join me, feel free. Suddenly there was all these children coming to the edge of the stage. And these women was holding up her baby, you know, and I picked up the baby and I'm singing with the microphone. And I have like 30 kids on stage with me dancing around me. And it was just the most, I got goosebumps because I love kids and it was just so unexpected and so wild. And, you know, it, I don't know. It was one of the most cool experiences. And
0: unexpected. And you had to go with the flow.
1: Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. So that was kind of a sweet, sweet moment. That, that, is, a nice,
0: <laughs> that is a really nice moment. All right. Well, last question for each of, each of you. And we'll start with Mary Pat. So in all of your experiences, can you share for those who are maybe starting out in the business or maybe in a little bit and trying to get to the next level, some piece of advice that you think is valuable that will help them?
1: There's so much, honestly. But I think the most important thing is to be careful who you listen to you have to listen to yourself first and you have to, my dad always said you had to develop a thick skin, but not let it, you know, hurt the soft interior because you don't want to become hard and jaded, but you have to, you have to be able to take rejection. You have to be able to take criticism um, and you don't want it to hurt you. You don't want it to destroy you as a person or an artist. So you you have to develop a really strong, you know, a strong um, spirit, I think, and, 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 be careful who you surround yourself with and, you know, always study and always learn and there's always growing and, and um, you know, I I think it's ongoing. There's, there's never, we're never done, you know, we're, we're always a work in progress. Um, But I think people have to believe in themselves. I know it sounds, you know, trite, but I think you really do have to believe in yourself and follow your heart and and listen to yourself and don't let people um, don't let people steer you on a different path, you know, follow your gut. Don't don't try to be what you're not. Do what you do and do it well, and try to get better at it. And your well, time will come.
0: That's a that's a great amount of terrific advice, all in one fell swoop. And mm-hmm. so I, I I think that that's it's really important stuff, especially believe in yourself. I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to? So uh, okay. you you must. I think it's really important. Richard, same question. Do you have a solid piece of advice or a tip for those? trying to break in or maybe they're in a little bit
2: uh well i'd say uh a ditto to everything mary pat said i'd also add uh always be open to to new possibilities and keep learning you know like i was saying earlier um i've joined a theater group uh rejoined a theater group i was with some years back and uh you know i find uh even more than getting up and doing scene work or, or or whatever i'm enjoying listening to uh jack stalin who uh is the artistic director of the group uh listening to him expound on stanislavski and theater and his experiences and seeing other people getting up and work and and and, and discussing that uh I, it's eye opening even with as many years as i've been at it so always be willing to, to, to keep studying and keep learning, whether it's, it's, it's music or, or acting and, uh, you know, understand that, that a lot of this business, David Niven used to say this, it, it really does depend upon luck. But if that's the case, then always try to be ready, be prepared for that lucky moment should it it happen to you. And and uh that means just you know keeping at uh keep active, keep uh keep taking classes and, and and studying.
0: Some some great uh individual, I always think it's Thomas Jefferson and I may be wrong about it, but used to say the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My and, first
1: manager used to always quote that. <laughs> it's it,
0: there's true. some there's some truth to that, you know. You you're you're certainly not going to get lucky just by sitting around unless that's something true. really strange happens, but then you have to prove yourself, don't you? Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: <laughs> Even if you're just walking down the street and somebody plucked you out of the crowd and said, "You, you're going to be a star." And you go, oh, what am I supposed to do with that?" Unless you know what you're doing. So, yeah, you got to work at it. Uh, Mary Pat Davis, Richard Osborne. This has been a just a terrific, fun-filled um, hour on StoryBeat. And I- I've yet to see you live in p- performance, and I hope someday I get the opportunity to see you doing your thing on stage because I think it would be a, a great evening. So I, I want to thank you kindly, both of you, for being on the show today. Oh,
1: thank you. It was
2: great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and so we've come to the end of today's StoryBeat. If you like this episode, won't you please take a moment to give us a comment, rating, or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great StoryBeat episodes to you. StoryBeat is available on all major podcast apps and platforms, including Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many others. Until next time, I'm Steve Cuden. And may all your stories be unforgettable.